The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, so glad that you have joined us on this Mother's Day weekend. City Rev Church, we love you. Glad that you are here with us, and uh, especially as we are celebrating moms this weekend. And I mean, of all of all Mother's Days to stop and to celebrate moms. I mean, moms, you all have had, I mean, just an extra burden that you have been carrying in this season. And so, look, if you are, at, let's just stop right now, wherever you're seated, and let's just, we're going to just clap for a second for moms. We're clapping for moms. If you're sitting there on your couch and your mom is sitting next, just look at her and just, you know, clap for her. Send her a text message and say, I was clapping for you, mom, just now. We are celebrating you, moms, because of all the things that you're going through. And so here's what we decided to do as the City Rev uh, team. We found our favorite quarantine mom memes. And we wanted to show you those just to celebrate you and all that you've been through these last few weeks. So here's the first meme that uh, we thought of, that we liked. Um, it's this one right here. Homeschool day two. Wondering how I can get a kid transferred out of my class. If you're feeling like that, if you're a mom out there, unfortunately for the homeschool situation is that you cannot actually transfer any of your kids but many, many of your mom, many of you moms may have felt like that. Please don't look at that child if that child's in the room with you. Okay, second meme that we liked. I loved this one. Two minutes after agreeing to make slime with my kids. In conclusion, I regret this. Yes, I have personally been there, and I know many of you moms trying to find all different types of activities and ways to keep things interesting in the house with your quarantine kids. Maybe you have felt like this, but this one was my favorite. Meme number three, bathroom break. They will find you. So even if you have retreated to the bathroom, locked the door, they will find you. That little hand coming under the door they will find you. So moms, um, we know that you have done so much extra. Many of you are, are now transitioning to being a homeschool mom and suddenly had to change everything on a dime to do that. Some of you are doing that. Some of you are trying to work from home. There's all kinds of things as you are taking care of the kids. Many of you moms, now you have college students that are back home for the remainder of the season. All kinds of things. We are so grateful for you moms in this season and want to remember you for that. And, and and so we have just one more thing along those lines we want to share with you. Of all of the videos circulating out there, this one was our favorite. This is for you moms. Check out this video. Yeah, I love that one. I like that the car is already driving away, like before the door is even closed. So um, for all that you've done, moms, we love you. We appreciate you. And so in this, uh, this um, time we have together, we are actually going to talk about the story of a mom. And I hope that this is an encouragement to you, a story of a mom who found God's provision even after walking through an extremely difficult season. We 
are in part four of our series, The Provider. Now, throughout this series, we have been looking in Exodus 15 and 16, and we've been talking about how God has provided for his people Israel as they're wandering around in the wilderness and in Exodus 15 and 16. In this uh, part, part four of The Provider, in this part of our series, we are going to jump forward a little bit in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at a particular story, but Exodus 15 and 16 is the foundation. It's the backdrop for this story. So it's hard to fully appreciate this particular woman's journey if you don't know the backdrop of Exodus 15 and 16. And so we wanted to share how this, these lessons that Israel learned of God being the provider shaped this woman's experience. And um, so whatever you're walking through right now, whatever the things you're wondering, God, why have you walked me through this season? What, this difficult season I'm walking through, how is this going to turn out? What can I expect from God as my provider? I think this story is going to bring you some comfort. And so we're going to look at the story of a mom. Her name is Naomi. So if you would open with me, if you have a Bible or Bible app, open to Ruth chapter 1. We are going to start in verse 1, Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Um, Here is what it says, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. Now that just sounds like a basic uh, introduction. Okay, there's a family. Man, his wife, his two sons, they live in Bethlehem. But there's a famine, so they move. They go to a place where there's not a famine. That seems simple enough. But the reality is there's a lot more jam-packed into that first verse that helps us get the important context here. For starters, it tells us when in the story of the Bible this took place. It says, in the time of the judges. Now, the fact that that puts that in there helps us know the spiritual context of this story. Because um, when it says that there was a famine in the land, that tells us that something is happening spiritually among God's people there in Bethlehem. Let's rewind a little bit. Several generations before... In as right before God's people went into the promised land, Moses delivered something from God in the law. This is what it said in Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, it started by saying, if you obey God's laws, here's what he's going to do. He's going to make everything go great in the land for you. Your crops are going to be full. Your herds are going to be fruitful. He says, all of the things, if you obey God, then you will have plenty. But then it says this. This is Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to pick it up in verse 15. You don't need to turn there. Just hear what it says. Deuteronomy 28. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall be upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. It goes on and on and talks about how basically this is how God was working in that time period. If you obey me, if you're worshiping me, you're following after me, then everything's going to be great in your land. But if you start veering away from me, He says, then I am going to draw you back to me. I'm going to to draw you back to me through this discipline. I'm going to cause things like a famine in the land. 
So we know that's the spiritual setting. There's a famine in the land. What does that mean according to how God set this up? That means God's people living there in Bethlehem and maybe around have been walking away from God. God is using this famine to call them back to himself rather than following these false gods that will lead them to destroy their lives. He's using this discipline of this famine to draw them back to to himself. So, the fact that this family is leaving the land means they're trying to go around the uncomfortable path God is taking them through. They go to the land of Moab. Moab is not just another city in Israel. It's not another state or territory. Moab is an enemy country. Moab will attack Israel, it will, they will oppress Israel, and this family decides to go to this, these enemies rather than walk through the difficult season God has planned for his people to call them back to himself. How uh, dark is this land of Moab where they are going to live for this time period? Well, the God that they worship in Moab is a God by the name of Chemosh. And Chemosh was a very dark uh, religious practice. In fact, one of the worship practices of worshiping Chemosh was even child sacrifice. And so here's this family. They're saying it's getting difficult here, this famine. They leave Bethlehem and they go to Moab. Now, as we go into these next verses, I want to alert you to the fact that in this chapter, the names of the individuals and places have some significance. So for starters, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. There's an irony in here. The house of bread has a famine. There's an irony. But there's also a warning. But don't leave the house of bread. They go, they're trying to go around the difficult season God is calling his people through, and they go to Moab. Let's pick it up in verse, um, chapter 1, verse 2. Here's what it says. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons, Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to, into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech the husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Melon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. What happens This family, Elimelech and Ruth, decide to take their two sons, Malon and Chilion. They move, they leave Bethlehem. They're trying to go around the difficult season of famine that God has for his people to walk through. They go, they're trying to go to avoid that. They go to Moab. They take matters into their own hands. They go to Moab and they live there. And then the unthinkable thing happens. Elimelech dies. Naomi is dealing with the grief of, her, of the loss of her husband. She finds herself now in a foreign land as a widow. And if that wasn't uh, worse, uh, bad enough, something worse happens. Then her two sons die. Can you imagine 
the grief that she's dealing with. She's dealing with the grief of the loss of her husband and now the loss of her two sons. But it's hard to overstate how bad this situation is. She is not just now dealing with grief at a level that maybe few have experienced. But in this culture, if she loses her sons and her husband, it's basically bankruptcy. There is no one to provide for. It's not, a, it's not an era where she can just go and just get a job and provide for herself. This is going to leave her as basically a beggar. This is the worst case scenario. Well, what happened? Well, what's interesting as the name Mahlon, which Mahlon in the Hebrew, is the Hebrew word for disease. Ironically, Naomi's name means pleasant. Her son, Mahlon, means disease. And the other son, Chilion's name means like desperate and weak. Now, why in the world would you name your children that? I don't know, um, but somehow that actually ended up fulfill, fulfilling. And probably what's happened is that they have died of diseases. And so maybe these are pseudonyms for them or maybe somehow prophetic. But now Naomi is there. She's got these two daughters-in-law. They're Moabite young women, these two daughters-in-law. And here's what's going to happen next is we're going to jump ahead. What happens next is she is out in the field, she's a beggar, and she hears that God has provided again, the season has ended in Bethlehem, she's now going to go back to her home. She turns to her daughters-in-law and says, look, I am going back to my people, you stay here in Moab. The two daughters named Orpah and Ruth, they protest. They say, Naomi, no, let us go with you. And they say, she, she says, I have nothing for you. I have no more sons. I have nothing, no way to provide for you. You stay here. Stay here with your family and your gods. I am going back to God's people, back to my people. Orpah leaves and goes back to her family. And Ruth clings to her and says, wherever you go, Naomi, I'm going to go. She says, I'm going to make your people my people. And I'm going to make your God my God. This is the, the conversion of Ruth where she is now a follower of Yahweh. And Ruth, this Moabite young woman, follows Naomi back to Bethlehem. Now here's what happens. Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. They travel back. Imagine what that would have been like. She's not been there for 10 plus years. She walks into town, this time alone. No husband, no sons, with this daughter-in-law. Both of them widows. They walk into this small town of Bethlehem, farming town, 
And everyone's like, did you hear Naomi's back? All, all it says that there's these women that are saying, Naomi, what, they gather around her. What happened to you? It sounds like the town is all abuzz. Everyone's talking about her. Did you see Naomi? I mean, they're, they're, the, where's her husband? Where are the sons? And the, the women come around her. Naomi, what's happening? They're asking her about all, what is the bad calamity that has come upon you, Naomi? And Naomi says this, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. In other words, do not call me pleasant, but call me Mara, and Mara means bitter. Do not call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter, because I have walked through such bitter circumstances. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is where the stories that we've been studying intersects with this story of Naomi because Naomi is not just picking a word like bitter just somewhere out of her mind. She is intentionally referencing an episode that her ancestors walked through in the wilderness. She is referencing Exodus chapter 15, the story that we studied a few weeks ago. I want you to turn to Exodus 15. We're going to go back and check this out for just a second. Exodus 15, it starts in verse 23. As you may remember, if you're just now joining us, here's what's happened. God's people have come out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea that God parted. The Red Sea collapsed on the Egyptians. They're following God by a a pillar of fire, a pillar of, of smoke, of cloud, and they're going into the wilderness following God to the promised land, but they get three days in and they find no water anywhere. God, how are you going to provide for all of us here in the wilderness? And they start to grumble and complain. And here is what happens. This is Exodus 15, 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Remember, Marah means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log or a tree and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to my voice, uh, the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in, in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. They're wandering through the wilderness. They have no, nothing, to, nothing to drink. They're starting to get worried. And then they see up ahead there's a pond and there, or maybe a lake. And they go up to this, and maybe it's a little oasis, and they run up and, oh, here's the provision. And they drink of it and it's bitter. So they call the place Mara, which means bitter. How bitter is it? Let me read you again verse 23, and let me just read it with the word bitter, because that's what Mara means. When they came to bitter, they could not drink the water of bitter, because it was bitter, therefore it was named bitter. Are you catching the drift here? This is a very, very bitter situation. They come to this place, it's bitter, They're grumbling, God, how could you bring us out here? Moses, why did you bring us through this wilderness, through this pain, this heat, this thirst? Why have you taken us out here? But God wants to teach them a lesson on how he provides. They come to this this lake. That makes it even worse. Well, there's a lake here, and this is, we, we can't even drink of this. This whole thing is bitter. You got our hopes up, and now look at this. We can't even drink of this. And God says, take that tree and throw it into the, into the water. Moses and Aaron throw the tree into the water, and it becomes sweet. 
and they're able to drink deeply from that pond and then God takes them to an oasis and nourishes them. An oasis perfectly crafted for them and God makes a lesson for them. He says, if I'm able to provide all of this, if I'm able to do all that I did for you in Egypt and bring you out of those and spare you from all of those plagues, if I'm able to do all of these things for you, what does that tell you about me? You can trust that I am your provider. So obey me. Walk in my commandments. Walk in in the steps that I provide for you because I am able to protect you, provide for you, and protect you from diseases. What's the Hebrew word for diseases? Machlon, Melon. The name of Naomi's son. What is Naomi saying? I didn't learn the lesson of our ancestors. God was taking us through a difficult season, this famine. I tried to go around the difficult season. I didn't want to do that. I tried to go around the difficult season. I walked out of God's protection. I went outside of that. And now, look at what's happened. I went from pleasant to bitter. Now you see a very, very intentional reference here by Naomi. She wasn't trusting in the provision of God walking through each of these steps. Now let's just take a time out just for a second before we we go any further. Maybe you're like hearing this and you're saying, okay, you know, this is a very poignant time for you to be talking about plagues and diseases. And I mean, are you saying that what we're walking through in this season, you know, of pandemic or people who are going through hardship or people that are sick, are you saying that that's like God's punishment? Are you saying that they've walked outside of God's plan and, and so he's punishing them? Is that what you're saying? Because that seems like what's happening in the Old Testament. That is not at all what I'm saying. And yes, that, that is how it, it, God set up his law in the Old Testament, but all through his law, he's hinting that something different is coming. Embedded in Exodus 15 is he says, what, what's going to make the bitterness sweet? It's a tree. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. What's the tree is a symbol all through Scripture. All through Scripture. It's a reminder of the cross. It's a symbol of the cross. There is a tree that makes the the bitter waters sweet. It's all pointing to one who would come, Jesus, who despite all of the ways we do go off his path, off God's path, and we do disobey God, none of us are perfect. We all have sin, but there is one who will come, Jesus, who will absorb all of the punishment for our sins. And if we put our faith in Jesus, All of the punishment that we do deserve gets exhausted on Jesus if we put our faith in Jesus. Gets exhausted on Jesus so he has nothing but love for us. So we know because we've put our faith in Jesus that as we're walking along, if he's walking us through a season of difficulty, it's not because of punishment. He's already poured all the punishment on Jesus. He's walking us through something that he will redeem for our good. We can trust that our provider will redeem the difficult situations that we walk through. So you say, so how then does this story of Naomi, how does this apply to us? Well, it applies to us like this. What this means is no matter what God is walking us through, the safest place to be 
is on the path, the middle of the path he has marked out for us. The safest place to be is to walk straight through that path. You know, I love how chapter 1 ends. It's so beautiful. Um, it, it starts with, there's a famine in the land. In the land of Bethlehem. And then chapter 1 ends with, and it was the beginning of a harvest. Do you see that trajectory of famine to harvest? There's just such a note of hope there at the end of chapter 1, isn't there? I love how the narrator treats Naomi because Naomi's like, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Don't you dare call me Naomi because I am not Naomi. I don't want to hear anybody saying the name Naomi around here. You must call me Mara. Absolutely, that's my name now. It is Mara. Nobody say Naomi. It's only Mara. And then the narrator says, so Naomi came back with Ruth back to the land of Bethlehem. Why? Because the narrator knows, he's telling the story, that bitter is not the end of the story. There's a redemption coming. What happens through chapters 2 and 3 are just absolutely beautiful. You should definitely go back and, and read that later today or later, uh, later in the night. You should read chapters 2 and 3. What happens is um, Naomi sends Ruth into a field. Remember, they're, they're uh, impoverished. And so what you would do is you would go into a field and you would get all of the grain that's left over. And, but Naomi sends Ruth to Boaz's field. It's a particular landowner that is a relative. And Boaz is a, is a godly man. He takes notice of Ruth and he protects Ruth. And then Naomi coaches Ruth how to let Boaz know that she was married, had been married to one of his relatives. And here's why. There was a law in the land and a practice that if a woman like Ruth finds herself widowed and, in, and desperate, a relative of that man, if, if he's a godly man, will marry her and redeem that whole line. And when Boaz finds out about this, he, he goes through the process of redeeming Ruth. He marries Ruth and then they have a child. Here's how the, book, the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, and Naomi's story ends. I'm going to pick this up in Ruth chapter 4, verse 15. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. There's such a beautiful redemption here, isn't there? Naomi's now holding this little child named Obed. Obed means servant. And Obed will serve to be a source of tremendous redemption. I mean, first of all, it's a redemption of her motherhood, right? Here's a, a mom who had lost her, her sons and now she's here holding her grandson in her arms. How is that possible? 
to redemption of her motherhood. She'd had to, she'd had the, the, the grief. Imagine how he not just redeems her motherhood, he redeems her, her suffering. The grief that she had dealt with. And the, the women of the neighborhood at one time gathered around and said, Naomi, what's happened to you? This is terrible. And now those same women are gathering around celebrating with her. This little baby, Obed, has served to redeem not only her motherhood, but has served to redeem her grief. Think about redeems the death in her life. This was once a house marked by death. The talk of the town because of the death. And now this, because of this child, it's now the talk of the town that there's this new life in this house, Obed. I mean, he's redeemed. This child, Obed, is redeemed, turned death into life in this house. But there's more. Because Obed is the grandfather. Did you catch this? He's the grandfather of David. That means Naomi is the great-grandmother of David, the David, the King David, the one who established Jerusalem David, the famous David. So think of how this redeems her life even more. I mean, think about how this redeems not just her motherhood, not just her suffering, not, not just uh, the, the death in her household. This redeems her poverty. Now her descendant will be the fountainhead of the entire dynasty of Israel, the dynasty. He will be the lineage of kings, King David. He redeems not just, not just her poverty, he redeems her failure. What was her failure? Her failure was cowardice. It lacked the courage to walk the path that God had for her. She tried to navigate around that. But who will her descendant be? The one who is notoriously courageous and brave. While she fled to her enemies, David ran into the battlefield. He was the great giant slayer. He came against a giant who was a seasoned, a seasoned warrior with a spear and a sword. And David, the shepherd boy, ran into the field with a, a stick and a sling and slayed the giant. That's who her descendant would be. He redeems her failure. But even more than that, what does this David do? Her great-grandson redeems her defeat. She fled to her enemies. And David is the king who defeated all of Israel's enemies and brought peace to the land. Do you see what God's doing here? He brings so much redemption into Naomi's life. See, I, I don't know what journey you're on right now, but here's what we learn from this the story of this mom. The safest place we can be is right on the path that God has before us. Not trying to escape, not trying to get off the path, right on that path walk right through that door he's placed in front of us, no matter how difficult, how painful. Why? Because he can provide a redemption that we could not even imagine. All those hurts, all those losses, all the injustices, all the pains, he can redeem them. You know, recently I was looking at my kids and it dawned on me, um, they're still uh, younger and little, but I dawned on them, I was just looking at them, I'm like, man, I am going to have to teach these children how to drive 
one day. And that day is coming soon, okay? We're, we're coming up on the day where they will be behind the wheel and I will be next to them and I will be doing what every parent does, okay? Like when they're coming up too close on, behind a car, I'll be trying to like push an imaginary pedal behind, you know, in front of me. If they're going too slow, I'll be trying to hit an imaginary accelerator, okay? And I was thinking back to the trauma I experienced learning to drive. Now, this is more than 20 years ago now. I remember I was learning to drive and I remember I was sitting behind the driver's seat. I, I didn't have my license yet. I was just like not even a block from my neighborhood and I'm going around a curve. My dad's sitting next to me and I'm going around a curve, but I am not geometrically going to make the turn, okay? And I am on a path straight for a telephone pole and I'm not making the turn. And the last minute, my dad reaches over and turns the wheel out of the way and we narrowly escape the telephone pole. And um, I, I remember it was pretty quiet in the car after that. That didn't turn out to be a good day of driver's lessons. And so I was thinking about that, and it reminded me, so often on our journey with God, you know, when things are going great, we're like, oh yeah, God's at the helm, I'm following him, and I love this journey that we're on. It's like, man, when you see the destination that God's going towards, you're like, oh, I love that God's on this path, this is great. But every now and then we're on that path, and all of a sudden, there's a turn that goes by, and you're like, hey God, that, that was the turn. I think we were supposed to turn there. Hey, God, where are you going? Hey, I don't think there's a, there's a road up there. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves kind of like on a, a bumpy dirt path. And this is getting rough. God, I don't like it. I don't like this. And what we tend to do is we tend to reach over and get the wheel from God again. And it's us treating God as if he's a student driver. But he's not. He invented driving. He invented you. He's perfect. Trust the path he's taking you on, regardless of what he's laid out in front of us. Trust that path. The safest place to be is not trying to avoid, not trying to take matters into our own hands, is to walk the path that God has marked out for us, trusting that he will provide redemption. You know, redemption, where he takes our difficult things and he redeems them and makes them new, he makes them turn out for good, and that's his specialty. Because actually, if you think about it, if she's the grandmother of Obed and she's the great-grandmother of David, that means that her descendant is Jesus. Because Jesus is the, the son of David. So that means, I mean, think about the layers of redemption for Naomi now. I mean, to level she wouldn't even see. Cosmic level she wouldn't see till she got to heaven. I mean, if Jesus comes from this lineage, her lineage, think of the redemption. Can we just go back and review for a second? I mean, think of how this redeems her motherhood. That her descendant will be the son. She's, she's the ancestral mother of the son that redeems all to the father. <laughs> she's, she is the ancestral mother to the son of God. I mean, think about how this redeems her motherhood. How does it redeem her suffering? 
I mean, Obed doesn't just redeem her suffering now that she has joy, but this Obed, this one known as servant, his name means servant, I mean, he doesn't just redeem this sufferer. It's who comes from Obed's line. Now what we see in this redemption is this sufferer holding a servant will one day from her line come the great suffering servant. Through his act of service, he absorbs all the suffering of the universe and will one day put an end to suffering itself. And all comes from the line of this woman, this mother. Think of how it redeems death in her life. That she was once a household marked by death. Now a household marked by life. And then through that line will come the one who will, will, will make a way. He'll be called the way, the truth, and the life. He will be the one who gives eternal life to all. And how will he do it? He will win life for us through his death. What an unbelievable redemption for this Naomi that God had in store for her. How does he redeem her? He redeems her poverty. How? Not just because of King David, but because of the son of David. Because one day in heaven, she will learn her incalculable value. She's not a beggar. Who is she? She is one that God Almighty expended the treasures of the universe so that he could purchase and redeem back her soul by Jesus' death on the cross. He redeems her poverty. He redeems her failure. What was her failure? She was a coward and would not walk the difficult path that God had for her. But what one would come through her line who would endure the cross, despising its shame. He would be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he would do it without complaint. He would be silent like a lamb before his shears in the midst of all of the accusations, all of the torture. With great courage, he would faith, face his death. So that by our, our act of faith in his death, his courage redeems our failures. That's how he redeems her failures. How did he redeem her defeat? She went crawling to her enemies and then came back in defeat. Through her line would come one named Jesus. And that Jesus would put an end and a defeat to our great enemy, sin and death itself. And he would do that through his death and his resurrection. And one day the full consummation of his victory is coming when he comes down from heaven. The great triumphant Jesus who cannot be stopped that came from this line. Don't you see what God is capable of providing in your life? A redemption that's beyond anything you could possibly comprehend. What do you need to know about your provider? His specialty is redemption. So whatever path is before you, However difficult, you are in the safest place you could be. Whether wandering through a wilderness, walking through a famine, or walking through a pandemic, if you're walking his path, the path of the provider, it's the safest place you could be. You say, how, could I, how would I know for sure if that he's going to provide for me? There's only one way you could know that. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about if, you're, if your spiritual life is still 
all about, well, I'm trying to do enough good to outweigh my bad. I think God knows that I'm sincere. I try my best. I mean, I'm trying to pray more. I'm trying to be more, you know, involved at the church. I watch more often. You know, I'm trying to be nicer to people and kinder to people. If that's where your spiritual life is, if that defines your relationship with God, then you are not, you do not have your faith in Jesus. You have your faith in you. That's having faith in your good works. That has faith in your religious deeds. That has faith in, in your efforts, your sincerity. You're putting your faith in your own self-righteousness and that cannot save you. That's building your spiritual life on sand. It will crumble. You need to build your spiritual life on the rock. It's Jesus. Don't put your faith on what you do. Put your faith in what he did. Put your faith in the fact that he was hanged on a tree. He was crucified. And by doing and taking all of our punishment on the cross, he brought us forgiveness so that we are children of God and he provides for us. I want to give you an opportunity, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever path, whatever road he's taking you down, put your faith in Jesus today. Put your faith in him and know that he is guiding you on that path, providing for you. And that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear, fear no evil because your provider is guiding you. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, you can do that by just praying a simple prayer. I want to lead you in this prayer right now. So wherever you're at, sitting at home on the couch, watching at a computer, watching on your phone, watching in your, or maybe listening in your car, just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to lead you in this prayer. If that's you, then just simply Repeat this prayer after me. This is between you and God. Just say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. I believe it's about what Jesus did, not what I do. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save me. I believe, Jesus, you rose again from the dead. And I believe that because of that, I will spend eternity in heaven. I will follow your path. And I believe you will provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, that was a very intimate, personal moment between you and God. And just because uh, it's personal doesn't mean it's private. We want to celebrate with you. We want to know about that. We want to follow up with you. We'd love to send you a Bible. We'd love to walk with you. You may be walking in the wilderness. You may be walking on a, a path that's difficult, but you don't have to walk that path alone. And we want to walk that path with you. So if you prayed that prayer, here's what I want you to do. Right there on the screen, you can click that box and say, yes, that was me. I put my faith in Jesus. Or you can go to cityrev.org faith. It's also there in the comments section. Just click on that link. Why? There's going to be a short form. It just lets us know how to contact you so we can send you a Bible, pray for you, encourage you, and you can walk this journey. We're all walking this journey together. Let's trust the provider. It's the safest place to be. Check that box off so we can walk with you. Church, we're going to close with a time of worship. I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, just to engage this time of worship. Worship your provider. He's hearing you. He's here. He's with you. He's hearing this. And so maybe you just sit there on your couch or at your desk or in your car and you just, you just hear these words. Maybe you sing. Maybe you stand up with your roommates or your family and you stand up and sing. But engage this time of worship because we're going to start with a song that reminds us that the same God who redeemed Naomi is the same God who's writing our story because he never changes. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. 
If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.